This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's new, everybody? Appreciate you joining us. I'm Joey Powell. This is InsideCarolina.com's network of podcasts, and you're listening to another episode of The Coast to Coast, brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Coast Podcast Time here on InsideCarolina.com. I am your host, Joey Powell. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming in, listening to us, watching us if you're on YouTube. However you're consuming this show, we appreciate your time. As always, want to bring in the two guys who make this show what it is, the two that you are here to hear from, Sean Moran, Sherell McMillan. Sean, how are you, man? Uh, doing well. Yeah, have a good Thanksgiving. Besides for Friday night, yep. Yeah, well, let's. I, I was going to avoid that, right? See, here you go, just <laughs> taking a crap all over our show, and uh, I, I, I was not expecting that, but I appreciate you. Uh, for those who can't see, uh, if you're listening to this, if you can see, Sean has a very fall shirt on, so I'm, I'm giving you a plus one in the, in the attire column for tonight. Uh, Sherelle, as usual, decked out in all Jumpman everything. Sherelle, how are you, man? I'm all right. Uh, my Thanksgiving was good until about what's seven. 7.30 on, on Thursday, overtime, four pass oh, interference calls. Yeah. It, was a rough, it was a rough sports weekend in general, I would say, yeah, for me personally. Yeah. I, could, I could see where that would be a, a tough thing. <laughs> well, I was going to say let's talk about some things that are a little bit better, but I don't know that UNC basketball at the moment is going to be that thing. But nevertheless, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, first thing I want to talk about is something on the recruiting front. Sherelle, you posted this on the InsideCarolina.com message boards earlier I think it was yesterday maybe it was earlier today but you've got a little bit of a nugget about Gigi Jackson I'll let you share that and then kind of if you would elaborate for our listeners what that means and how it pertains to his overall recruitment and his potential college selection so uh Gigi Jackson is a 2023 uh I would say power forward he's a four from Columbia South Carolina he goes to Ridgeview High School um, he's essentially a top 10 consensus kid in the country. Um, I think some people might have him lower because they haven't updated his rankings, but he, he is that type of player. <clears throat> uh, so he officially visited UNC during um, late night uh, back in October, and that was his first official visit. And so some time went along where they were trying to set stuff up with different schools, and eventually they settled on uh, going to Georgetown uh, last weekend, and they were scheduled to go to Virginia uh, this past weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, that trip didn't happen. Uh, it was canceled. So um, the plan right now is to be at UNC on Wednesday for its matchup against Michigan in the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. And there are no other visits on the docket as of right now. <clears throat> so this will be his third visit to UNC uh, since June. He took an unofficial uh, in late June, about 10 days after picking up an offer from Hebert Davis on uh, June 15th. So 
you kind of have to like the position of North Carolina with this third visit coming up um, and no other visits on the schedule. The Virginia visit canceled. Um, he has been to South Carolina a couple of times for, I think, for a practice and for an exhibition game. Um, but I do think this is one that the North Carolina staff feels good about. Uh, and we'll just have to see where things go over the next, you know, I would say four to six weeks. Well, we appreciate that update. And certainly, like you said, I think the big thing for our listeners and Inside Carolina subscribers here is kind of read what that means, right? It's not that he's committed to UNC. It's not that he's committed to Georgetown. But it's just more of looking that if a visit that was planned gets canceled, you know, read into that what you will. I think you do a great job of kind of um, putting the facts out there and letting folks kind of deduce what's there, Sherelle. So I appreciate that. All right. That is the recruiting point of the evening. Unless, Sherell, do you have anything else that needs to go into the show that I'm missing? Uh, there may be another visitor on Wednesday. I won't say the name. It's not gonna. It's not gonna make anybody go crazy. But not gonna break the internet. Right, it won't break the internet. But if we're able to confirm it, uh, we will. Uh, so just keep an eye on that because it, it is a, a a pretty you know huge game for UNC. All right. Well, we'll talk about that game in just a little bit. Um, I think now the biggest thing to get to, and I want to let you guys really kind of show out on this episode of the show, because I think there's a lot of talk around the Tar Heels, and we didn't have a show last week. There's a lot of talk around the Tar Heels right now that is just so hot button and so, I don't know, mercurial, I think is a great way to put it. And not that anyone expected the Hubert Davis era to begin without hiccup, but I do think the fact that it went from everything is cool to whoa, WTF is is quite jarring, at least to this guy. So what I want to do first is let's talk about what happened. We didn't have a show last week, but uh, UNC went up to Uncasville, Connecticut, and played really, really well against Purdue, who I think is a potential Final Four team, uh, and, and then just absolutely looked as listless and lackluster against Tennessee as they could. Uh, Tennessee, again, top 15 team depending who you want to believe, but UNC did not play well in any way, shape, or form in that game. You heard some things from Hubert Davis and some comments from the players after that game that you thought, okay, well, with having Sunday off and then being able to, uh, or having, I'm sorry, having Sunday to come back and then having Monday off and playing Tuesday against UNC Asheville, that the game would have been a get-right situation where the Tar Heels would probably come out with their hair on fire like most folks would expect them to. That didn't happen. The Tar Heels won against Asheville, 72-53, uh, to 53, but I think the three of us, you know, and speak up if I'm wrong, I think the three of us can say that Asheville's just not a very good team right now. Yes? Correct. Correct. All right. Sherelle has, says nothing, but I'm assuming he's, he's playing along here. UNC is just a little more gifted, Joey. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a throwback quote for you. Um, guys... Obviously, some folks are concerned with the way the team is performing uh, in various assets. I think individual players, but also, you know, the team as a collective. I want to get your thoughts about the win over Asheville. And, Sean, I'll go to you first. Is there such thing as a bad win when you're in the midst of the transition in the style that North Carolina is in, going from a Hall of Fame, three national title winning, you know, program legacy type coach to Hubert Davis. Is there a such thing right now in November as a bad win? Um, it's a good question. I mean, it's better than a bad loss, um, losing to somebody at home like that. So I think taking 
taking the win, but obviously how it happened. Um, and, and, you know, I, I thought the first 15 minutes actually was, was decent. Uh, they were throwing the ball over the court a little bit, but they had 35 points, you know, with six minutes to go. And then that's when, <laughs> that's when, you know, they hit the brakes and only, I think only scored 10 minutes over the next 13 or so or so minutes, um, which was very, very tough to watch offensively. Um, so in terms of a, a bad win, it, it definitely didn't do anything to offset, um, you know, the previous weekend where they went 0-2. Uh, but going back to that Purdue game, you know, it, it, we talked about it the week before, um, and it, it hurt when I said I thought Purdue was a national championship contender. And UNC, uh, you know, they were, they were down the majority of the game, but when they did come back and had that wide open three to go up three, they're going toe to toe up, up to that point, And then they gave up that, you know, extremely quick nine Oh run. So, you know, if it had only been a one game series, I think you come out of that and say, okay, they, they should, you know, at least showed, showed something, but then that Tennessee game was so listless and, and lack of energy that there there's that kind of goes into your bad win, you know, question from, from this week. Sure. I'm going to come to you next. Uh, looking at the Tennessee game and the performance in Asheville back-to-back, again, I'm taking away that the Asheville game was a win. I'm looking just at the team performing to their own standard. What are the major flaws that, that UNC is experiencing right now? I think the biggest flaw is uh, chemistry. And when I say chemistry, uh, that has a negative connotation. And I don't mean to say that the guys don't like each other or – there's internal discord, you know, I frankly, I don't know about what's going exactly what's going on in the locker room. Um, But I think chemistry should be expected to be an issue. I mean, anytime you bring in, basically you return basically five starters because RJ Davis started a good amount of games last season. And then Caleb Love, Licky Black, Kerwin Walton and Armando Bicot. So you're essentially returning five starters. You're returning a rotation player in Anthony Harris, who saw some minutes towards the end of the year. So that's six guys coming back. And then two pretty high-impact transfers in Manic and Garcia. And then the guy who the coaching staff really likes in McCoy, <clears throat> as well as two freshmen. So they never played together. <laughs> They've had a couple of exhibition games. This is the sixth game of the season. You would expect there to be chemistry because they haven't, they don't know each other that well on the court. You can only do so much in practice. So I just think they need to get used to, to being with each other on the court figuring out where they like the ball, how to help off rotations, you know, when to switch, all that good stuff. That just takes time and it's repetition and it's, it's just uh, happens over time. It, it can't happen immediately. <clears throat> I don't think there's ever been a team. Well, y'all, y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if there's ever been a team that had instant chemistry and the second they stepped on the court for the first time, they looked completely 100% in sync. If there has been, I'll, I'll eat that, but it seems like something that just takes time. So to me, that's where they have to um, get better is just being used to each other and getting comfortable with each other on the court. And again, that does not mean they don't like each other. It just means they haven't played together before. Yeah. I mean, you can absolutely play with someone and, you know, let me rephrase that because again, I don't want to lead folks down the wrong path. You can absolutely um, get along with a teammate, like best friends live together, all that good stuff. And your styles clash. I think that's a great point. I think it's important that you framed it that way, kind of listing all these guys that came back because all the guys that came back aren't starting right now. 
right? right? Like some of them are, are having to find new places. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks have talked about, we talked about it here, like Leaky Black figuring out what is his role. Um, other guys seeing reduced minutes. Sean, Sherelle touched on the chemistry piece. What do you see right now from a style of play that is giving these guys hiccups? I think some of the consternation has been, you know, you're transitioning from a too big to a one in, a too big in the post to a one in, four out type play. Um, you know, combine that with the fact that the defense is, the, the defensive play has been incredibly lacking. What do you see, whether it's schematically or just from a, a learning a new style that's causing this team some hiccups? Well, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the, the chemistry uh, point Shaw brought up, so can can touch on that. I mean, I think the, the two other, you know, or I guess really the one thing that is causing hiccups is the lack of identity uh, from this team. I think that was almost the exciting part of, you know, the transition to Hubert and everything you were expecting, uh, you know, from from kind of the change in terms of maybe a modernization. Uh, but instead, you have a team where you, you don't, you know, le- you know, going back, it was offensive rebounding. They're going to push the tempo, um, you know, things of that nature. But here, you know, you, you can't, you can't really say, well, they're, <laughs> they can hang their hat on, on this offensively. Uh, defensively has been, you know, once again, they're ranked sub 100, which I don't think they had been in, in Roy's era as well. So there's really kind of a lack of identity on both sides of the ball as to who, who is Carolina. Um, you know, from a three-point shooting standpoint, they're shooting the ball really well. They're shooting 41%, but in terms of their attempts, um, you know, their, their bottom, bottom half of the, in the country in terms of their, their three-point rate. So, you know, I think that that is definitely an area offensively where, you know, they need to be <laughs> trying to get more, get more looks because that is an area that they have the talent um, and, and from the guard perspective have seen the early improvement, but so going to the chemistry standpoint, um, you know, I think Brady Manick had the post-game interview that everybody read and was talking about. And going back and watching the game afterwards, uh, I mean, he he was just having no fun out there at all. Uh, you know, and part of it was he was out there running up and down the court. Um, and he, he, the look on his face, he was just having you know, was not, was not enjoying being, being out there. And I think that's the question for how many of them are are actually enjoying being out on the court playing together because, uh, you know, and and Manic had his, he had his faults for sure. But when he does touch the ball, the ball moves a lot quicker um, versus when anybody else has it, you know, it's not moving that quick or they're not hitting that open person. Um, So that was kind of long winded, but we'll, we'll, it all goes to the identity and just kind of lack of chemistry that they have developed at this point in time. And Joey, let me jump in. Sean, I'm going to ask you something. So you said lack of identity. Do you think that filters down into role definition as well? Is if the program right now, and I would say the program, that sounds drastic. If the team right now through six games doesn't have an identity, it's kind of hard for individuals to know their role. Is is that Mm -hmm. fair? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I still think it's, nobody knows what, you know, besides maybe leaky, uh, you know, what their, what their role is. And you have a lot of guys that are not, uh, you know, say the first round NBA talent, but all have, whether they test, you know, tested, um, you know, in terms of Dawson and Armando, they had, you know, in terms of Caleb had a lot of expectations placed on them or Manic, 
who's at his last year, they all have expectations of what they want to do afterwards. And, you know, you watch, you watch a lot of Baylor this weekend and all their guys were scoring between eight to 15 points. Um, and nobody was really scoring more than that. And I think it, it goes back to a quote in the role of, you know, there, there's too much up in the air, um, you know, especially like Curran Walton, for instance. I mean, he's, he's kind of been hot and cold, but he's a guy, I think, okay, try to, you should be trying to get him open, open threes. You know, he's one of the top shooters in the, in the country. Um, RJ Davis, you're really struggling trying, trying to finish in the paint. You're shooting 26%. You know, let's, let's look for open shots and, and moving the ball around, you know, Manic, you need more than five shots per game. You should be getting, you know, 10, putting the ball in your hands and, you know, he's probably the best passer in the half court set. So there's a lot of players to your earlier point, Terrell, and there's a lot of individual talent, you know, talent, um, but it just hasn't been put together. And I think each game is, is very different in terms of the role. It's almost like who's, who's hot, but it's all kind of uh mano a mano type in, in my mind. So I, I love that you said that. Also want to go back to what you said about, uh, manic and how the ball moves better when he's there. He absolutely reverses the ball better than anybody in the roster. Uh, and it's crazy that it's coming from a, you know, a four man, but, um, Shrill, Sean talks about kind of a lack of identity with this team. Do you think that's fixable? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think all the, all that stuff is connected. We talked about Kim. We're really saying the same thing in different ways. When you talk about chemistry and identity and, uh, what, what was the other one? Role definition, all that will come just with time, I think, with with experience. You know, um, Hubert Davis has the job of making sure that uh, him and his coaching staff convey to the players what exactly it is you want me to do. Do you want me to be this guy or do you want me to be, you know, this guy? <clears throat> and each player has to, you know, take that in, understand it, apply it in practice, and then apply it in the game. So I think that's just a matter of time. Um, I, they're in, what, practice 30-something I think by now. Um, so it just, it's just getting comfortable with each other and playing more games. Now, if this is the same issue in March or the same right. issue in, in late January, early February, then you can say, okay, well, maybe there's something, you know, amiss with this personnel because it would have been the same issues over, you know, two different coaches and two different types of systems. So then you can say, okay, well, maybe it's just, you know, like I said, personnel or, uh, how these guys fit together versus the actual system being the issue. Yeah. So I think there's plenty of time uh, to, to kind of work that stuff out and it just takes repetitions. Sean, if I'm a UNC fan and inside Carolina subscriber, what are some things that I can see or look for in, in the team's play that indicate to me that, Hey, they're starting to find some identity. What are, are there specific stat columns I can look at? Are there specific things from individual players that, that might indicate that some of that identity is being found? Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at you look at their stats, whether it's regular or advanced, and for the most part, especially offensively, the majority of players are better. Um, you know, Caleb, Caleb's over 100 offensive rating, so is R.J. Davis, et cetera. Um, I think one thing we always talked about last year was the struggle to get to seven made made three pointers last year. Mm -hmm. This year, once again, going back to three point shooting, you know, they've eight, nine, seven, twelve, ten, seven, but. You, I would have thought the, there would have been a lot more attempts um, going on, you know, go, going back to that earlier point, I think, but, but also that comes with moving the ball quickly and finding, finding open shots. Um, so, I mean, I think offensively, you know, can they, 
can they increase their three-point volume as well as kind of their assist to turnover ratio? Um, I think that can show that the team is, is you know, playing a little closer together um, in terms of knowing where they like the ball. Uh, but then, you know, defensively, I think we, we saw some changes in UNC Asheville in terms of how they were defending. Now, that did lead to a lot of wide-open three-pointers that UNC Asheville just wasn't hitting. Um, so coming against Michigan, who uh, is struggling shooting the three, but they do have some very capable shooters, you know, now do they catch fire? Um, so I think, once again, defensively, can they start holding their uh, opponents to under one point per possession? Because uh, that's been a struggle uh, throughout throughout this year, um, you know, defensively of, of not really having that anchor um, in the paint and not having the guards that are able to, you know, really get through the ball screens. Yeah, you've said before that this team is made up to where it doesn't have that rim protector, uh, you know, and I think that's a, that's a great point. You know, we've heard Hubert Davis talk about, you know, different position players on this roster being great positional defenders. And uh, I'm not going to really dive into that, but Sherelle, you followed a lot of these guys since they were early in their high school days. Does UNC have a guy on the roster right now that can take the lead and be, uh, for lack of a better term, I don't think it necessarily has to be a defensive leader, but somebody that can set the tone with their defense? Yeah, the, the point guard sets the tone of any defense. I mean, I, I think that's basketball 101. You know, if you, there's more pressure on the ball, it's harder to do all the things that the offense wants to do. The whole idea of the cut the head off of the snake, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it starts with Caleb and RJ, who, whoever is playing lead guard at that moment. Uh, you have to do whatever it takes to, to try and help and um that dribble penetration. I mean, they're giving up just straight line drives for layups. I mean, time and time and time again. And they are better players than that. And, you know, I, I think it's just, um, it's just a matter of focus and awareness and intensity, all that stuff mixed up together because in the end, yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I think, you know, novice basketball minds like, like myself and, and others probably don't understand about the coverages about, you know, how, how to, um, you know, push someone to one side, how to cover a screen, how to drop, you know, all that good stuff, how to hedge all that good stuff. And in the end, um, I, I'm a big proponent of just trying hard, especially on defense. Uh, you know, I, I joke about remembering the Titans all the time, but you know, when they tell PD to just go out there and cover the guy, PD goes and covers the guy and, and that helps everything out. So just go out there, you know, cover your man, um, do what needs to be done on defense. I, I think it's, I, I get it. I don't want to diminish it and say it's not complicated, but I think in the end it, it is, it is simple in that you just have to guard your man and be effective doing that and if everybody does that um consistently as opposed to maybe trying to freelance or try to get a steal here or there just just very very uh georgia tech paul johnson defense assignment defense is what people always used to say just just handle your guy and if you handle your guy i think things will work out well you sugarcoated that well enough that even talking about Talking about it in generalities, you didn't make Sean's head explode uh, by listening to you. So I think that's actually a, a great start. Uh, and also want to give you a little more credit than that. I don't think you're as uh, primitive of a, of a basketball mind as, as you said you were. Um, all right, so Sean, we've talked a little bit about the, the defensive issues. I have seen North Carolina this year with my own two eyes, my own two eyes. Um, I have seen them create turnovers in the passing lanes around the perimeter. Sherelle talked about, you know, 
guys that are playing the point just focusing more and locking in more on it and, and you know, quote-unquote trying harder, do you think that this team has the ability to create, back to your point about creating identity, can they be a team that starts their offense and starts their transition by getting into the passing lanes closer to half court? Is that, has that been a fluke or is that something that can become more a part of, of who they are? Well, given, given where they're at right now, there, there's really nowhere to go uh, but up. Um, <laughs> Not what I was going for, but yes, I hear you. <laughs> uh, but in terms of potential, I mean, I, I think there's a, a little bit of improvement. But, it, you know, once again, it's only six games, but at the same time, uh, I don't I would be surprised at seeing a drastic uh, turnaround, especially come, you know, the end of the month when when we're getting into to ACC play. Uh, you know, I think they're there are two wing, you know, between Caleb Love, uh, just given his his wingspan and and length, um, you know, when he's on the ball has the potential, and then you know Leaky Black, same thing, um, and he's been been playing well, and I know you know I'm I'm usually pretty pretty tough on him on on these podcasts, um, but you look at you know Kempom block percentage, he's he's doing all right, but he's not getting any steals um, and he, he's kind of, you know, the, that small forward guardian on, on the wing. So I think he's the other guy with the potential. Um, and then you have uh, RJ, uh, that's going to be hard just given his, his size. Uh, and then you have Kirk Kerwin who, um, you know, I think he's been playing fairly well defensively, uh, especially in, in man-to-man situations uh, when his opponent tries to drive. So he's more of kind of, keep, you know, force, force a tough shot versus deflections. But once again, that just creates easier, easier opportunities in, in transition that then goes to, I don't have a lot of confidence in them in transition at this point in time, in terms of them, them being able to finish unless it's, it's unless it's wide open as well. So, you know, that, that's another area of, of improvement, but right now the opportunity opportunities have been slim to none. Okay, last thing uh, I want to hit you guys with before we uh, before we start talking about Michigan. Uh, I don't want to totally belabor these last two games, so let's talk about something positive. Sean, what's something you've seen from this team that you like, as opposed to maybe what you know what was on the roster last year prior to prior to the end of the season? Uh, I mean, I, well, I was going to say Armando just because he's been dominant, but I think he he was dominant last year. Um, I think he's increased it, uh, but he's been uh, the, the bright spot for sure. Uh, but that's similar to last year. Uh, so I would say, once again, the outside shooting has been the improvement point where, for the most part, you have four, four, you know, three to four guys on the court that are going to be able to shoot and shoot well. Uh, but once again, it's just the volume is, is not there to kind of fully take advantage of, of what they've been focusing on. Sherelle, what's something you like that you've seen earlier this year? Um, yeah, I think the offensive um, balance has been pretty good. Not necessarily on a game-to-game basis, because there's still a lot of, you know, one guy has, has 25 and then everybody else has nine. Right. There's been that, That's happened a couple of times. But just the fact they have so many guys uh, at different positions who can score, I think it's been a positive. Uh, Caleb has had 20 or more. RJ's had 20 or more. Brady's had 20 or more. Armando's had 20 or more and Dawson's had 20 or more. Um, So there's that kind of versatility and they all really do it in different ways. Uh, The last few years, you know, the the Cole Anthony year was, you know, Cole in a prayer. 
or I guess when, when Cole had got hurt, it was Garrison Brooks in a prayer. Um, and then last year, I think they had four guys who did it, but it was just not as fluid, not as easy. Um, so I do think this year's team offensively is aesthetically at least uh, much more, much easier to watch uh, from that perspective. So I, I think that's a good thing. And I think it'll, it'll bode well for them, um, especially when you get into March and some of those tight games. Um, that's when I think scoring and the ability to get your own shot and the ability uh, to hit, make tough shots really comes in handy. Um, and when you have a team who has four or five of those guys, who knows what could happen in March? I mean, how many times have we seen it where a team uh, who has a bunch of scorers or a team who has a guy who gets really, really hot in March can you know go yeah. a long way? I think North Carolina really hasn't had that the last couple of years. Uh, so it's it's good, I think, you know, moving forward that they have it this year with five or six guys who can really score. Yeah, the counterfactual to that, too, is when you get into March, you know, teams like to take away your best player. And if you have guys that are all capable of being your best player on a different night, it makes it harder for teams to game plan for you. But, uh, again, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse there. But I appreciate you guys coming along with me and, and saying something positive. I'm actually going to trump both of you and say something incredibly positive right now. JohnnyTShirt.com. I mean, is there anything more positive as the calendar flips over to December, people start getting ready for the holidays, and you're thinking about your holiday gift list? Is there anything more positive than Johnny T-Shirt? I think not. You know, some, somebody tried to tell me the other day, he's like, hey, why don't you go to some other website to get your Carolina gear? And I said, nay, nay. I said, I will go to JohnnyTShirt.com because they just finished their Black Friday sale. They had 20% off everything. Plus, Inside Carolina subscribers know that they get an extra 10% off the top of that. So, I mean, that's – I'm not a math major here, but that sounds like, you know, just deals and deals everywhere. Uh, what I would encourage to our listeners – Go to JohnnyTShirt.com if you are not stopping into the store on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Uh, check out all of their new arrivals. They have holiday stuff. Uh, if you want to put up a UNC stocking by your chimney with care, they've got said stocking for you. Uh, if you would like to deck your halls in Carolina blue, they can hook you up. If you are looking for uh, you know, a partridge in a blue pear tree, they may be able to get that for you. If they do not have it, I'm sure you could reach out to their customer service department. They can tell you how to get your hands on such. But all I'm telling you is go to johnnytshirt.com, take care of them, or let them take care of you. Uh, but we appreciate all the support that they give to Inside Carolina and the support they give to this podcast. And we just want to make sure that you're, uh, you're making a list and checking it twice because johnnytshirt.com is the place to do that. Thankful to them. Going to take a quick break, let the national guys drop their ads in here. We'll be right back to get you ready for the Tar Heels versus Michigan and Sean Moran's favorite intra-conference rivalry. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking around. Joey Powell here, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan there. Coast to Coast podcast for you. This week, the Tar Heels have had a decent layoff in a sense that they have not played. Uh, they will not have played for seven days when they uh, lace them up against Michigan Wednesday night at 9.15. Michigan, of course, ranked number 20 uh, as of the most current uh, the most current AP poll. 
Right now, uh, Michigan, I think, has dropped two games already this year. I have not had a chance to watch them, but just looking at their roster and knowing some of the guys they have, um, they still have quite a few upperclassmen. Um, they play a lot of guys, have played a lot of guys earlier. Uh, you know, Hunter Dickinson, I think, is the, is the one that everybody is most familiar with. But Eli Brooks has also uh, done a great job from the guard spot for them. He's averaging 15.7 uh, points per game. Uh, Dickens is just below that, just below 15 uh, points per game, eight rebounds. And he actually passes the ball really well for a big man. So if you're one of those folks who likes to see big versus big, if the Purdue game between uh, Baycott and uh, Zach Eady did not do it for you, then Baycott and Hunter Dickinson or potentially Hunter Dickinson v. Dawson Garcia should do that for you. Guys, what do you see, and I'll start with you, Sherelle, what do you see coming in to this game that makes you think the Tar Heels uh, can actually get a, a, big, a big win early in the season? Um, as we just talked about, <laughs> offensively, uh, they're a really good team. And uh, Michigan uh, right now is not a team who turns you over a ton. Mm-hmm. Their turnover percentage is very similar to North Carolina. So uh, turnovers have been a bugaboo for this UNT team, this kind of core group, the last couple of years. So hopefully – uh, the fact that Michigan's not great at forcing them will give UNC some extra possessions and some extra shots. Uh, I'll let Sean get into the kind of the deep uh, dive into Michigan. I, I was going to just kind of talk about a little bit about <clears throat> the recruiting stuff so far mm-hmm. um, between the two, uh, because it is interesting in that Hunter Dickinson and Armando Baycott played together um, on the AU circuit for team takeover a few years ago. And they were really uh, probably the only AU team who played two traditional bigs. Armando Bicot was the four and Hunter Dickinson was a five. And that team, I think, lost one game the entire summer, something like 39 and one or something like that. Uh, Anthony Harris was on that team as well. And those two worked really well together. And the thing that you always noticed about Dickinson was his ability to get Armando the ball from the top of the key when Armando was calling for it on the low block. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, again, speaks to his ability. He's done it in college. Frankly, I did not think he was going to be this good in college, at least not in year one in the very beginning of year two. Um, so he's someone that the North Carolina staff knows very, very well. He had an offer from UNC um, in that same class as Walker Kessler and uh, Dawson Garcia and Dayron Sharp. Hunter Dickinson was right there, too. And the other guy um, who kind of has a UNC connection is Caleb Houston, mm-hmm. uh, was one of UNC's top targets last year on the wing. Uh, actually, was Daron Sharp's roommate at Montford Academy down in Florida. Uh, UNC really wanted him, uh, and he just kind of went in a different direction. So uh, that is the, the recruiting angle is that those guys, those two guys, the UNC staff knows really, really, really well. Yeah, and Caleb Houston, of course, is a, a bit of a matchup nightmare, too. It's 6'8 on the perimeter. He's just a really athletic kid. I, I am excited to see him play. I do not want him to go typical uh, UNC offer or non-UNC committed offered opponent, as folks who listen to this podcast know what that reference is to. But, um, Sean, just sitting here looking at, at, at Michigan, you know, they, they've got wins against uh, Buffalo. They beat Prairie View. Uh, they beat UNLV. Uh, and they beat um, Tarleton, something called Tarleton State by 11 <laughs> points. Um, no offense to any Tarleton State listeners here, but uh, that's I've never heard of that before. But they lost to Seton Hall uh, by two, and they got absolutely boat raced by who I think is a, a good Arizona Arizona team um, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how do you feel like UNC matches up with, with this squad? I mean, you know, Michigan's trotting out two guys that are seven foot, right? How, how do you feel like the Tar Heels match up uh, personnel-wise against Michigan? 
I mean, I think it's a, it's a good matchup. Uh, I think right now, you know, Ken Palm has Michigan favored on the road by a few points. Um, but I think part of that is, is still based on some of last year's formula, but I, you know, I think Michigan, uh, very different than UNC, obviously last year, Michigan had a great season, uh, but they lost, they, they did lose a lot. Um, so I think expecting them to just kind of step in where they were last year was, you know, was not a good projection, um, in terms of where they started, uh, just because they did lose so much of their senior leadership. Uh, obviously they, they returned Dickinson, who's been having another heck of a year, but the other guys are still trying to kind of find you know, almost find, find their role similar to UNC, um, you know, from a transfer standpoint, Devonte Jones, you know, came from coastal Carolina. So he's, you know, he's trying to find his way at a, at a higher level. Um, and, you know, from a shooting perspective, we talked about that they're shooting 29% from three, but they do have Eli Brooks, who's, who's very capable um, and Caleb Houston, who has not been shooting the ball well, but I, I think, you know, from our discussions on here when we were when UNC was recruiting them I think has the potential to be one of the top shooters in his class so once I think it's a lot of players that similar to UNC are trying to find outside of Dickinson are trying to find their role and their identity and and playing together uh, I, I think UNC trumps them on a depth uh, perspective but once again you know it's also a little easier if you're only playing seven or eight you know to, to kind of find find your role. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see how Michigan shoots, uh, especially in the Dean Dome, which, you know, UNC has been known to give up some hot <laughs> shooting performances to those that yes. that haven't, you know, been coming in. So Eli Brooks and Houston are the ones to watch out for. But, uh, you know, I, I think the Dickinson-Baycott matchup will be will be a fun one, uh, especially given their, their past. But, you know, for, for UNC, we were talking about March. I mean, this is almost a a must win because you have Michigan at UCLA or not at UCLA, but you know, in Vegas, that one's going to be a, a long shot, I think at, at beating them. So you, you really have Michigan and then you have a pretty subpar ACC um, in terms of, of who is left on the schedule. So this is a, a pretty, pretty big game in terms of, you know, making it into March and being, you know, having some, some type of success uh, in that month. You know, it reminds me of uh, the 2018-19 season. Uh, so Carolina had went out to, I think it was Vegas, and they had lost, they lost to Texas and they lost to someone else. So they were, you know, something like four and two, five and Gonzaga. two. And Gonzaga was coming into the Smith Center, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh I think the first Saturday in December. And there was talk, I mean, because at that time, nobody knew how good Kobe White was going to be. Yeah. Cam jo- we didn't know Cam Johnson was going to have, have a historical shooting season. Um, so at that time, it was kind of like, man, if they don't win this game against Gonzaga, when's their next chance to get a, a really impressive win? And that is when uh, I think Seventh Woods had like the game of his life in, uh, that <laughs> night. Yeah. And Carolina got the win and off they went you know, and eventually became, became a number one seed. Not saying that's going to happen if UNC beats Michigan on Wednesday, but it, this game kind of reminds me that there is some some pressure already. And, you know, Joey, you've been to through, or you've been to the Smith Center this year, but to me, from my uh, untrained eye, from my couch here in Concord, it doesn't seem like the Smith Center has been a huge home court advantage thus far in, in three games. And maybe that's the opponent, maybe that's COVID, you know, I don't know what it is, but it, it needs to be loud in there to give, uh, them a little extra extra bump on Wednesday. 
Yeah, a couple of things I want to touch on. Like, you know, you guys make great points about opportunities to get Q1 wins. And uh, this is absolutely, you know, everybody's grandma used to always say, you got to make your stew when you have the vegetables. Well, this is one of the last few times that they're going to have their vegetables before they get into conference play. And like Sean said, the ACC looks to be down this year just based on early returns. Um, Sherelle, to your point about uh, – oh, and by the way, before I before we move on, I, I do want to at least point out some of these offensive rankings for, for Michigan right now are just not good. Um, they're 336th in the nation in field goals attempted, um, you know, 323rd in three points uh, – or in three-pointers made. Uh, they're right at 303-point percentage. Sherelle, to your point earlier about they don't pressure the ball really well, they're 334th uh, in steals created per game. So uh, they're they're not off to a great start either, and this is an opportunity for the Tar Heels. To your point about the environment, I would like to attribute the lack of attendance earlier this year being to 7 o'clock games in the midweek against bad opponents. Uh, the Friday night against Brown, I wasn't there, but I think that crowd was a little better than the other two. Uh, but to your point, I would expect that Wednesday night uh, against the likes of Michigan will probably be a different story. And, you know, to anybody listening, if you have tickets, go to this game and be loud. Um, I, I think the this team is going to need some home court advantage. And, and if any of you have the uh, inclination to do so, I think this would be an opportunity to to help establish that. All right. Um, before we get out of here, uh, anything else you guys want to add before we, whether it's about Michigan or anything else before we, we sign off for the evening, sure. I'll go to you first. I'll add, uh, on the recruiting front, Michigan and North Carolina are, are really, uh, battling more often, uh, than I think they did in the past. Uh, Juwan Howard, uh, is a really good recruiter, has some good classes already come in just in his short amount of time there. Uh, the latest example really was Seth Trimble, uh, before his visit to UNC, pretty much everyone thought Seth Trimble was going to go to Michigan. Whether or not that was the case, you know, I don't know. Uh, obviously, he signed uh, with UNC, but just something to keep an eye on that UNC and Michigan see each other a lot more than they used to on the recruiting trail. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think most folks have already forgotten about Seth Trimble since he's made his commitment and is now uh, and has now signed with the Tar Heels. But that's that's a great point. They're starting to see each other more often, and, and you know that is a, a, a tip of the cap to Jawan Howard. Sean, do you have anything you want to add before we sign off for the evening? Um, I mean, obviously Michigan's a, a huge game, but, but so is the, the second one uh, of the week at Georgia Tech uh, to kind of kick off the ACC season. <laughs> how is it already um, and... conference season, man? How, how does <laughs> – I hate you, new ACC. <laughs> and I feel UNC has uh, – they've lost the last two to Georgia Tech. I feel both times they've uh, maybe should have got the win, but you could kind of see, see it coming where they weren't able to put it put it away when they had the opportunities. And then, you know, in the last few minutes, Georgia Tech took over. Um, so, you know, once again, two really big, big games this week. And then from a high school recruiting standpoint, you know, Seth Trimble, um, as well as Tyler Nickel begin their seasons this week. So, you know, can start talking about how they are, they are doing, uh, because I think there will, uh, you know, their shoulders will be heavy, come next season, possibly. Uh, so it'll be important to see them uh, playing well. Well, and Georgia Tech will be playing against Wisconsin this week. Uh, but I'm just going to assume, until I see him not there, I'm going to assume that Jose Alvarado is still playing for Georgia Tech uh, until <laughs> I see him not on the floor and then playing a game. So, um, But they actually, uh, Georgia Tech so far this year, I believe, is is like 5-1 and one with a, 
an opening loss to Miami of Ohio, but not sure who their wins have been against. But they will be playing Wednesday night as well against Wisconsin, so our listeners will have a chance to check them out. Guys, I appreciate it, as always. I love that you come in here and you're gamers and you bring it, and you always have lots of good insight, especially on what has been a – a couple of weeks of tumult for this uh, for this basketball program. But appreciate you listening. Appreciate what it is you bring to the show. Uh, appreciate everybody um, Appreciate everybody watching and, t- and tuning in out there. Uh, I think it's uh, you guys help us be better. Uh, I would appreciate if you would leave us a rating or a review. Uh, five stars only, please. This holiday season, we don't want bad reviews. But if you don't like what you're hearing, shoot us a quick email. Let us know about it. We'd appreciate it. Uh, guys, thank you so much. I will talk at you sometime very soon. I uh, appreciate Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. Very thankful for John Siegley for producing. And until next time, this has been the Coast to Coast Podcast. For Sean Moran, for Cheryl McMillan, I'm Joey Powell. We will catch you next time. Late. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.